0: Welcome to Marvelous
1: Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Wednesday, March 13th, 2019, which is just six days after Captain Marvel was released to theaters. We could sit here and talk about the box office and how it did, but I I have to cut to the chase here. So, Aaron, what did you think of Captain Marvel? It was good. It was good. Okay. Yeah, that's about as far as I can go with it. I don't want to be
0: the one that damns it with faint praise, uh, because it's not that necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just that Marvel, the specific MCU, Mm -hmm. the bar is so high with all of the movies. We've seen more action by way of Avengers, Infinity Wars, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen more characters, we've seen more humor, we've seen more drama in other places. So it's a very good movie by any Hollywood standards, mm-hmm. but on the MCU level, it's not the best, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not the worst. It's it's one of those middle movies where most people will go in, they'll enjoy it, mm-hmm. they'll talk about it for a bit, but I think that it may... well. I was going to say that it, it could easily kind of fade off into the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we're going to have Endgame coming right around the corner where Captain Marvel's coming right back to action to reinforce her. So if she does gangbusters in Endgame, that may actually elevate Captain Marvel the movie later on because it's like, oh, yeah, she was so great. And, oh, yeah, I got to get her, get her origin story and add that to the collection too because she's just awesome and I got to get every little bit of uh, memorabilia Captain Marvel out
1: there. If you, you're you going to stack this movie up, you really do have to sort of look at, you know, for example, say, the original Iron Man or Captain America, the First Avenger, or that sort of thing. So from an origin story point of view, how did it stack up
0: for you? I do like the fact that it was not a linear movie. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just kind of boring when you start with, Peter Parker's in high school, he gets bitten by a spider, he goes and Uncle Ben dies. You know, I mean, that I've seen it so many times that it's just boring to me, even as the biggest fan in the world. So coming into Captain Marvel with a fresh slate, not really knowing what to expect, they give you kind of a jumbled mess, Mm -hmm. which is good. It's brave. It's bold. It says, hey, audience, we think you're smart enough to play along. Mm -hmm. And so when things come at you out of order, like the interrogation scene, looked visually very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. And you've got someone speaking in the background, so you know someone is manipulating the time frame, but time is moving forwards and backwards, and sometimes they jump too far in one direction or the other, and you catch glimpses that are important, but they're not necessarily what these characters are looking for at the moment. But they do inform you about the Captain Marvel character. So all of that jumbled mess I thought was really cool. I I appreciated that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. The thing that was... Almost a downside is there is a line where she says something about finally being set free. Mm -hmm. And that's when things kick into overdrive. Everything goes from cool to exceptionally ultra cool. Mm -hmm. But that's like the last 25 minutes of the movie. It's what you've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. And then finally, boom, when it gets unleashed, it's really great.
1: Okay. If you haven't seen the movie, you're probably going to want to jump ahead in the podcast about five minutes because... Because Aaron and I are now going to talk spoilers. And, okay, give them a few minutes. Okay, they've jumped ahead. All right. The Scrolls. You and I have been talking about Cree Scroll War and what that means going into Phase 4, which, again, we re- there's no Phase 4. You know, just that's what Kevin Feige says, and we believe him. But... The assumption was that, you know, we were going to set up secret wars, we're going to set up secret invasion, and, and then this film makes the scrolls sympathetic, and mm-hmm. that really kind of takes the wheels off of a lot of stuff I, I mean, me personally had assumed. What was your take on it? Well, it's just further proof that
0: Marvel listens to our podcast and whatever we (laughs) speculate and theorize over, they don't do that Uh just to make us look bad. I think that this, I must have really harmed someone currently working at Marvel uh and they're just trying to bring me down. No, I, you know, it's weird because from everything I've ever seen from Marvel, Mm -hmm. I've always expected the right turn. And they've always taken the left. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what movie it is or how they did it. It's just whatever my expectations were, were never what I got in that movie experience. Mm -hmm. But it was so much more satisfying than what I ever predicted it could be. Mm -hmm. So I'm perfectly okay with being wrong about speculating in the future of what could happen Mm -hmm. because it's a lot of fun to talk about what if. Okay. But when it comes down to it, when you get into the theater and you get to see what Marvel has created, Mm -hmm. crafted, and then presented for you, Mm-hmm. that's usually a special occasion for me and even if it's not the best movie in the world i still manage to come out feeling special like marvel made something just for me because i'm i'm one of their fans one of their big fans okay
1: okay and while we're we're spoiling things here you having written that wonderful tribute to stan lee a few months back so you know we were speculating about how stan was going to pop up in this movie and wasn't expecting that <laughs> <laughs> well, in two
0: ways. Okay. Because first, you get the Marvel logo that comes up with the big Marvel theme music, and it's normally shots of Cap and Iron Man and Hulk and all them, mm-hmm. and instead, it's different shots of Stan from all of his different cameos, and my wife and I both muttered a very bad profanity mm-hmm. when it happened, because we weren't prepared for those flood of images. Yeah. And it meant that the next five minutes we had to sit in the theater and pretend we're not crying mm. <laughs> as Captain Marvel starts up because we it, it totally took us by surprise yeah. and it was it was beautiful mm-hmm. and then now we'll get to the actual cameo mm. inside the movie of Stan and that I'm sorry Marvel I don't know what you want from me on this one mm. I I literally could not focus on the movie for five to ten minutes because of the implications of the Stanley cameo. Mm. And it's simply because he's on a train, and he's reading the script for Rats, which is a Kevin Smith movie, where Stan Lee appears as himself, mm-hmm. and he talks to the lead character, I believe it was Jason Lee at the time, mm-hmm. and he talks about inventing Spider-Man and inventing the Hulk. And if you follow that logic train all the way to the end, Stan is playing himself, and he created... All of the characters in the movies we're watching, which just leads you to the end conclusion, is Stanley God in the MCU? Is that what they're trying to say? Or am, were they just going to have a fun little Easter
1: egg and you really weren't supposed to dive that deep down the rabbit hole? All I could think of is, you know, those images from Doctor Strange where the, the world is folding in on itself. It was like that. That's what that moment felt like to me.
0: Yeah. But it could have been just the tribute of acknowledging all that. I mean, just like the opening credits where they show all of Stan's cameos and all of the characters that he had created. Mm -hmm. This just may be one final touch to say he's responsible for all of this. And maybe that's all you're supposed to take
1: out of it. I don't know. Well, I remember, though, that just today they confirmed that we've got at least two more Stanley cameos coming. There's one definitely in Endgame. And there's one in uh, Far From Home. I guess Far From Home will will be the last unless somebody finds something somewhere they can fish out.
0: My prediction is Stan Lee will undo the snap himself with the Infinity Gauntlet in Endgame. That will be his cameo. Oh, that
1: would be so cool. Um, oh, uh, uh, since we were talking about spinning expectations on their ear with mm-hmm. the scrolls and making them sympathetic making that the reason that that carol danvers has been off the canvas since the middle 80s or thereabouts but when we talked about this movie and watching all the work that they were doing with samuel jackson and you know just like oh they're aging him down and we're finally gonna get to see the battle where the epic battle where he loses his eye and it's a cat owner like what
0: yeah, I was really conflicted because I wasn't very familiar with Goose, and it's just a cat, so we think. Mm-hmm. There's a funny little thing that reminded me a lot of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where they scan the cat, mm-hmm. and it's like, dangerous, and they put a muzzle on it, mm-hmm. and then they scan Nick Fury, and it's like, mostly harmless, like the description <laughs> for Earth in Hitchhiker's Guide.
1: And I thought that was so funny. Yeah, that was definitely, you know, the Douglas Adams fan, I approve.
0: Yeah, but um, beyond that, the, the as far as the cat, the, for the most part, it's a cat until a couple revealing scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shocking mm-hmm. when the cat opens its mouth and a bunch of tentacles come out mm-hmm. and swallow people whole and whatnot. Yeah, that kind of takes you off guard. And you go, okay, more than the average house cat. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Nick Fury was nothing but gentle and kind to Goose. He mm-hmm. petted the kitty. He, t- he spoke very nicely to the kitty in a voice we would never expect from Nick Fury to come out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And throughout the whole movie, it was almost like they were bonding. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, for no reason, Cat just scratches out Nick Fury's eye and it's like, yep. By the way, the way that, that Fury loses his eye cat scratch fever, baby.
1: Mm-hmm. Cue the Ted Nugent. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you got to love what they did with Colson, you know, after that, you know, with the whole, you know, tray of artificial eyes. And how did it happen? Did it hurt? happen in battle? The fact that this is where the legend came from. So
0: Yeah, it's okay that they're being playful, but everyone had their... I mean, in the comics, Nick Fury lost his eye in battle as a war hero, Mm -hmm. and now it's almost made into a joke, which almost makes Fury not as cool as a result. And that's the only repercussion of it that I'm upset with, is that, oh, Nick's not a badass, as as we thought. Mm -hmm. It was all a scam, a lie about a cat scratch. It just kind of brings... Brings Fury down a couple notches on the cool level, and that's hard to say when it's being played by Sam Jackson.
1: One final thing before we enter the non-spoiler zone. The Tesseract is... Yeah. Does this scan for you the
0: timeline that we've... Oh, timeline, yeah, it's fine. I mean, because we don't know most of the timeline, Mm -hmm. and so it can appear and disappear whenever the story calls for it, as long as it's not... Physically occupying space in another time at, at the same time. Okay. Uh, sure, it it can end up there. Okay. Um, I just saw it as the MacGuffin that won't go away in the MCU.
1: All right. because it all keeps right.
0: coming back and it keeps coming back. And in this specific story,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they use the Tesseract as a, oh, we need to go get this thing. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's the Tesseract. Turns out really they didn't need it at all. Mm-hmm. So if you took out the Tesseract and you replaced it with a duck feather, mm-hmm. it would not change the story at all mm-hmm. because they didn't need it. It didn't work. They didn't use it. Nothing happened. It was just a MacGuffin, something to chase after that was completely pointless. But why, why did it have to be the Tesseract? What made it? So important this time. Mm -hmm. It was just another one of those things where, I mean, I know that Marvel likes to tie everything together and keep pulling stuff back in, Mm -hmm. but you could have used that time to set up something that's going to happen in endgame or tease something else or just made a more tightly condensed story that moved a little bit quicker.
1: Okay. And mid credit scenes worked for you or?
0: Uh, Cap meets Cap, the end. Mm -hmm. And then Goose coughs up something that's not a hairball. Mm Mm-hmm. And in both cases, it was, you know, it's kind of like the Schwarma scene. <laughs> Doesn't add a thing. You know, it's just a, a quick little laugh mm-hmm. about nothing. And that's fine. I'm I'm cool with Seinfeld. I'm okay with a, a show about nothing for a minute. That's cool.
1: Okay, final question. Mm-hmm. Jake Coyle of the Associated Press describes Captain Marvel as the must-see appetizer for Avengers Endgame. Would you agree?
0: No. Nothing about that made me want to see Endgame anymore.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I've already got my peak level of that. I don't know what they can do to make me want to see it more except bring it out right now. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I wanted to see what the Captain Marvel movie was by itself without any expectations around that. It's just like I couldn't judge Ant-Man and the Wasp directly against Infinity War, even though they came out practically back to back because Mm -hmm. one is a smaller movie than another Mm -hmm. and they're not the same so i'd have to watch captain marvel as captain marvel and as an mcu movie good movie not the best not the worst just a pretty good movie i think a lot of people will enjoy it okay there's not much to hate about it it's just it for me it took a little while to finally get to that peak where it really became the roller coaster i'd been waiting for
1: it's worth noting that just before aaron and i started recording this week's uh, marvelous disney episode Marvel Studios announced that they have hired a director for their first ever film built around an Asian superhero. That film is Shang-Chi, which we've talked about on previous Marvelous Disneys. And the gentleman who's going to be directing it is Destin Daniel Creighton. When Marvel finally decided, okay, it's time that we make our own movies, they needed to line up a company to distribute these films. And at that time, in 2006, uh, they signed a deal with Paramount. One of the ways they persuaded Paramount to, you know, come on, get on board with this. This is going to be huge. These are the characters we're going to make movies around. And some of these names, very familiar. The list they showed Paramount executives, Captain America, Doctor Strange, Black Panther. They were also talking evidently about doing standalone films with Nick Fury and Hawkeye. Who knows? Maybe at some point in the future we'll get those, but... The other name that was on this list as far back as 2006 was Shang-Chi. For me, what's fascinating is how Kevin Feige has kind of pulled together the team for this movie. We talked back in December when they hired David Callahan to do the screenplay, and it turns out that one of the reasons that David got this opportunity is that he did a rewrite of Ant-Man back in 2014. Evidently, after remember when Edgar Wright walked away from the project and they had to bring in mm-hmm. the second director. I want to say Peyton Reed. Yeah, Edgar Wright has a very unique sense of humor and a very unique stylization. And yes, and and so the thing was that Callahan had to come in and sort of figure out how to take all these elements and make it one even tone, one even film, and. And evidently, Marvel was thrilled with what he did. and In fact, as were other folks in the industry. Because since that time, he's written the sequel for Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984. And he's just recently got hired to write the script for the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But what more intrigues me is how Crichton got this gig. Jumping back to 2014, 2015, Feige is looking for someone to actually play Captain Marvel. And, you know, somebody says, hey, there's this actress Brie Larson. We should maybe check her out. And so he requests everything that she's been in. So, and that's the thing. Kevin watches everything. And so one of the films that Kevin takes a look at is Short Term 12, which is a movie, an indie film that was released to theaters back in August of 2013, but it's something that Daniel both wrote and directed that featured Brie in a supporting role. And so it was Larson's performance in *Church sure Turn 12 that got her cast as Ma in 2016's Room, which is, that's the role she won the, you know, the Academy Award for Best Actress for. Uh, she's actually shooting a film called Just Mercy, and the interesting thing is her co-star in this project is Michael B. Jordan, the guy who played Killmonger in Black Panther. The, the guy who's directing Just Mercy is Destin Daniel Creighton. So Bree brings us up to Kevin as they're out doing press for Captain Marvel. And like, oh yeah, I liked his short-term 12 movie. Do you guys have any footage from what's going on with Just Mercy? And they call the studio, they send over a reel of stuff, and Feikey is once again impressed by what Creighton does. And, and so it's like, says, hey how would you like to come to Marvel Studios and make a movie? You know, we've got this Shang-Chi thing coming up. And that's how we got the gig. So it still kind of blows my mind that as far back as 2006, here's Marvel talking about making a Shang-Chi movie. And it, it took 13 years for the right talent to be in the right place and the right you know, director to be in the right place for a Black Panther to have broken through and show, hey, we can do films based on characters of different persuasions, different ethnic heritages, you know, let's let's try this. So I guess, you know, good things come to those who wait. I wonder how
0: long we're actually going to have to wait because there's a limited slot of uh, openings for Marvel movies in the near future and a lot of movies that still need to come out. With the Fox acquisition, all that stuff, they've got more movies than they have slots
1: at the moment. A couple of people have reached out and sort of spitballed some ideas, and I just want to run this by you quick. They're suggesting that for 2020, the first film we may see would be the Black Widow film. And in fact, that's supposed to start shooting in June in the UK. Okay. And then they're suggesting that given that Doctor Strange was released, it you know, was the Marvel picture for fall that that would be the slot In 2020, that would be late October, early November. That'd be, you know, where Doctor Strange 2 gets dropped. Jumping ahead to 2021, they're suggesting that February, given that the first Black Panther did so well then, and, you know, part of the reason that it resonated as big as it did was, you know, that's Black History Month, that this would be possibly where Black Panther 2 would get dropped. Right. And then Sony seems so determined to make Spider-Man 3 show up in that window. And then after that, everyone keeps talking about the Eternals and Mm -hmm. whether or not that's going to be dropped into the slot that, say, Guardians 3 was going to be in. But the question is, are we talking about... Summer of 2020? Are we talking summer of 2021? And obviously, now we have to figure out well, where does Chang Chi fit into this thing? Because, you know, this sounds like this is now a Go project. So. And then, how long do you want to wait before you then have a Captain Marvel sequel come out? This is very true.
0: It's really crowded right now. Because if you're assuming that every. Superhero gets a trilogy because mm-hmm. that's the pattern thus far. Mm-hmm. Then Captain Marvel's still got two. Spidey's going to have one at that point left. Black Panther will have two. Doc Strange will have two. Guardians three. If that dog ever gives up that bone, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And then you got a Black Widow movie, a Shang-Chi, the Eternals to cram in there. Yeah. And then, you know, if you want to add the Fox acquisition into the mix, then you've got to start thinking about X-Men and Fantastic Four as well. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they, a whole lot of toys that they'd like to play with right now, but only so many slots for so many characters. So I don't even want to try and predict what they'll do. I just want to see what they're, when they release that schedule of the next couple of years, I want to see what they're envisioning.
1: Got it. Okay. Now now you had mentioned Captain Marvel and it's, it's important acknowledging the movie that's just in theaters today that it wouldn't be here without Kelly Sue DeConnick and we'll explain who that woman is when we get back from our commercial break.
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
1: To your happy place For a happy price Go to your happy price price Priceline Now, on previous episodes of Marvelous Disney, Aaron and I have debated about the way Kevin Feige works, how the president of I I believe that the the, the president of Marvel Studios likes to plan things out year in advance. I, I picture him in his office with secret closet that you know, he pulls his his whiteboard out of and he's got mm-hmm. three to five years worth of movies blocked out there. And you on the other hand have I been... believe he's got a magic eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yes, he's he's kind of an opportunist, you know, that 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 you know, he works in the moment and um yeah. It's like that great line out of Indiana Jones where Indy turns to Sala and goes, you get a truck and get to go to Cairo, and you, you get me a horse. <laughs> and one of the characters in Indy Indian says, what about you? What are you going to do? Says, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, Marvel's The Avengers comes out May 4th, 2012. This is the film where in our, the end credit scene, we get our first glimpse of Thanos and at that moment, the entire Infinity Gauntlet story starts moving forward. And Kevin, at that time, knew that there was going to be a Phase 2, there was going to be, and hopefully, a Phase 3, and that Thanos was going to be the big bad. But at that time, he didn't know, and he knew that the Avengers somehow, some you know formulation to the team, was going to have to take Thanos out. But who was going to be on that team? And more to the point, how they were going to do this, <laughs> he had no clue at this point. Okay, so again, that's May 2012. Now, the Captain Marvel movie we've just been talking about throughout this entire show, the thing that just made $524 million at the worldwide box office, this version of the character isn't even introduced, the, the Carol Danvers version, till July of 2012. Two months, three months after the movie, the original Avengers arrives in theaters. And in fact, Mm -hmm. she's only introduced as a supporting character in Avenging Spider-Man 9. But this is Kelly Sue DeConnick's take on the character. And Kelly Sue's take on Carol Danvers comes right from her family experience. Her dad was in the United States Air Force, which meant when Kelly Sue was growing up, her family would move from military base to military base as her dad got New duty assignments, and, and, and when she behaved herself, her mom would reward her by buying her the latest copy of Wonder Woman comic books.
0: Yeah, I was bribed by Spider Man. It's it works if you got kids and you want them to read. Yep. Comic books
1: are a good good thing to get them. Mm-hmm. So, but but again, I just and more to the point, she talked about how when she was growing up on those those Air Force bases, that comics that was a part of that world. And, you know, it wasn't a question of. This is kid stuff. You know, she'd go to visit her dad and, you know, the airmen would be sitting there in the office reading comic books, you know, Mm because this was, this was valuable literature in that world. So that that's the world she grew up in. Anyway. Okay. So Captain Marvel movie now, supposedly development of this begins in May of 2013. Now. I want you to tell your Russo Brothers story here because I think there's a parallel here.
0: So when Jim thinks that, you know, Feige's got everything laid out decades in advance and he's got this omnipotent storytelling power and I say he's got a magic eight ball. What I mean is there was a story from the Russo Brothers from Captain America Winter Soldier where Marvel had come up with some artwork of a couple of helicarriers in the sky on fire, smoking, crashing down to earth. And it may have been Kevin Feige, it may have been somebody else, but it was someone with a lot of power in the studio said, we need that image in the movie. And they didn't know what the story was yet, what the mechanics were of it. They just knew that they had to write that in somehow. And that's how we ended up with the climax of that movie was someone saw a really cool, cool image and went, we got to find a way to get that in the movie. So now you've got to get helicarriers in the sky. You've got to then have a battle with helicarriers firing on each other and Captain America versus the Winter Soldier inside of a helicarrier that's crashing to Earth. That's where all that came from, was from a drawing that looked really, really cool. So my whole point of kevin feige is that his job is to make sure that they make a great movie first and foremost and that is task number one make this movie great and they write it well they get great actors they get great directors they have visual artists that paint a beautiful image for the director to take from and try and bring to life somehow on the cinematic screen but the point is in that moment if they're going to create an easter egg it may be for the next movie so it's not like they're planning years and years and years out they're just planning for the next movie they might toss a little easter egg because that script is currently in development and they can work with that moldable clay at that moment so When it comes to making an MCU film, I firmly believe that Kevin Feige wants that movie to be great. That's where all the attention is focused. And then after years of making great movies one after the other and finding this trail of breadcrumbs that all of your writers have woven in over the years, then you can pick all of that stuff back up and put it into your future arsenal of storytelling material. It's what they would do at the Marvel comic book company. They have a bunch of writers around a table. They pitch their story ideas. Someone goes, that's great. Go write it. And then decades later, someone goes, oh, I remember that story. How great that was. I've got a different take on that. And they revise it. They tweak it. They make it better. or They build on that legacy in a new way. It's the same thing of create a great story today. And then we can look back and see what we've got. And if we need to add on to it, build from it, we can.
1: Now, it's, it's interesting you talk about your piece of art. Coming from the comic book world and being brought to Marvel Studios and look at this. This is cool. This is stuff we should do. Now, here's what intrigues me. So in May of 2013, Marvel Comic Books launches a storyline called The Enemy Within. And it's a mm-hmm. it's a crossover event that features Captain Marvel and the Avengers Assemble book. Reader's digest version of the story, it has Danvers and her Avengers teammates doing Battle with Young Rung, the Jude Law character from the Captain Marvel movie. Anyway, this is the Kree commander who's responsible for the explosion that gives Carol her powers. While Danvers and the Avengers do eventually, they are eventually able to beat back the Kree, this victory comes at a cost, because once the battle is done, Carol has lost her memory. Okay, here's Kevin Feige. He's looking at, I need a super-powered superhero to take out Thanos at some point. And I don't have that right now in the Avengers assembly. And as you and I, Aaron have talked about, this is a guy who right now is trying to figure out how to bring the X-Men onto the canvas. Because again, up until this point, they haven't been acknowledged or in Tony uh, Stark's version of Manhattan, you know, the number of times we've seen him fly over the city or Spider-Man swing through the city. And, we've never seen the Baxter building. So how do you bring the Fantastic Four in or that sort of thing? And Avengers West Coast.
0: <laughs> that was one of my favorites back in the day. And its I, I always kind of expected if they give up the Avengers, mm-hmm. will we get Avengers West Coast just to move it away from New York and give it a, a more golden scenery of of california that's an excellent
1: idea wow okay cool again folks at marvel again i know you deliberately do the opposite thing that Aaron says but this is a good (laughs) idea so pretend that i said it's not okay i highly doubt that they will highly highly doubt it let's see anyway so i can't help but think for example when you look at captain america civil war and face it civil war was an absolutely amazing crossover event. I mean, you know, beautifully Mm -hmm. written story involving dozens of our favorite characters. But the thing is that Captain America Civil War movie really doesn't follow the storyline of the comic book event at all. I mean, there's a couple of images, you know, really well-known images from the book that are books that are replicated. But for a large part, Kevin is just sort of takes the name and and takes a couple of images. And uh, forgive me, this is kind of a crude analogy, but I I kind of view Kevin as a toddler at a buffet. It's like, ooh, that looks cool. And that looks cool. And that looks cool. Well,
0: there is one point against that is that in the Civil War comic book, Mm -hmm. you still had all of your entire mc universe available to you which included x-men fantastic four etc mm-hmm. and so when you take away certain linchpin characters of story points you do have to start drastically altering the story to kind of cover up those gaps that is you know a, putty that is them an excellent
1: over. point i stand corrected okay but if you are you know you're kevin feige and you're looking at you are moving toward this mad titan storyline and and you have to assemble a group of avengers to take him out again you need this all powerful super being so two questions it's like okay if you're gonna make that all powerful super being carol danvers you can't assume your audience actually knows who this version of captain marvel is because let's face it a lot of people who go and love the marvel cinematic universe don't necessarily read the comic books so they're not going to know the character from there and more to the point Where has she been, this character that's going to come over the horizon and help you out? Where has she been this whole time? And for Feige to, like, she's lost her memory. Or to now have her out in deep space helping the Skrulls find, you know, a new homeworld, and she's been doing that for three decades, that's your get-out-of-jail-free card. You've got to admire the ingenuity of at least having done that. It's like, ooh, I forget how to do this.
0: Well I'm again I'm certain because they're all they come from a, a group of great storytellers mm-hmm. and they've got a massive bag of tricks because think about how many times they have had to resurrect somebody in the comics so- and so died because of a massive battle but through genetic engineering of this mystical purple potion, we were able to bring him back to life. You know, it's they've, they've got so many gags that they've used over and over and over. So when they look at something like an equation, Mm -hmm. like Avengers of where's Carol Ben ah, deep space. Haven't been there yet. Okay, great. Well, let's go to deep space now and start the movie there. I think it, it makes sense, and they're doing what they do best. They're telling the stories that we grew up loving, and it's not necessarily in the exact same ways. And just like Civil War, when I read that, Peter unmasked himself yeah, and said, "I'm Spider-Man." That's that didn't happen shot. in the
1: movie. No, no, that did not. So, but that was still that got coverage in yeah. the mainstream media. I mean, I remember, you know, that that image being shown in like USA Today and Newsweek, and that was a really big deal.
0: I almost had to take a week off of work from that announcement. I read that comic. I had to sit down and have a soda. Oh, my God. What happened? My blood sugar? Okay. What am I shaking for?
1: <laughs> okay. To circle back to Kelly Sue DeConnick for a moment here. This is a direct quote out of the art of our Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel. Uh, Anna Boden and Ryan Flick, the directors, uh, were quoted as saying, What attracted us to the Captain Marvel movie was definitely the character of Carol Danvers, particularly the version of this character that appeared in the Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, run of these comic books. And it was Kelly Sue's take on the character, her humor, our humanity, that need to prove herself and fighting with herself, and all that swagger that comes from a military background. That's what made us decided that we needed to do this movie. And as they were moving forward with the film, they felt DeConnick's Touch was so crucial, they actually brought her in to consult on the screenplay, and while she was in consulting on the screenplay, they were like, If we ask nice, can we get you to do a cameo in the movie so who's who is she? who is she? Do you remember there's a moment in the movie where Carol you know is chasing a scroll, gets up on an elevated train platform, and has lost the scroll and you You see her sort of looking around while she's standing there, this woman Brushes by her, rushing to get on a train. That's Kelly Sue. Okay. that's She said, you know, look, I don't want a big cameo. You know, in fact, that's one of the reasons she brushes against the Captain Marvel characters. Because Kelly Sue has moved on. She's actually now over at DC. She's about to do for Aquaman what she just did for Captain Marvel. You know, she's kind of reinventing that character. Which is kind of interesting because we've just had that that hit film come out. But anyway, what was funny is that, again, this is a quote from Brie talking about the day that that Kelly Sue was on the set. And it's like, oh gosh, I have to admit that talking to Kelly Sue was so surreal. I I felt like I blacked out. I I was really nervous because, you know, when I met her, because this is the woman who's creating the character that I'm playing. And, you know, which I feel that Kelly Sue knows way better than I do. and. I was just so honored to receive her blessing and to see how excited she was to be in the set and that we wouldn't be here without her, you know, and I'm so grateful for the character that she created. So I'm sorry, fanboys, if you're upset about the whole too many white guys going to press events, the fact that she was this excited about meeting the writer of the comic book that the movie was based on. I think that says a lot. Anyway. That's our Captain Marvel show again. Like good solid B. Is that what you'd say? Or yeah, yeah,
0: four stars. I guess. Okay. Maybe three and a half. If okay. I were being very, very critical over no reason whatsoever. Okay. It's just that all of the other movies are are so good,
1: and it's it's just it's okay. It's good. It's it's a happy medium. Okay. Well, speaking of a happy medium, we're happy working in this medium, which okay, we've got. Disney Dish with Len Testo, We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We've got Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We've got Looking at Lucasfilm with the amazing Dan Z. And we've got I Want That with Shelly Valladolid. If you could do us a favor, head over to iTunes, uh, rate and recommend our show. We would genuinely appreciate that. If you really want to help out here, we we would love to have you subscribe to Bandcamp, and if you subscribe to Bandcamp, you get cool additional shows that are not offered over at iTunes, so more content, more pointless stories, you know, and <laughs> you can't get enough of those. Not to, to belabor the obvious here, but we're just six weeks out from Endgame, and and then on the other side of that, we got Spider-Man Far From Home, so... Take my money! Take my money! <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> well, 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 Aaron is shoving money in, the, in you know, through the, the lock theater door. We'll, we'll say goodnight here, folks. Take care. More
0: Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.